part two chapters one and two of bessie's fortune by mary jane holmes this librivox recording is in the public domain one stonely the season is june the time fourteen years prior to the commencement of this story and the place an old garden in wales about half way between bangor and the suspension bridge across menai straits the garden which is very large must have been beautiful in the days when money was more plenty with the proprietor than at present but now there were marks of neglect and decay everywhere and in some parts of it the shrubs and vines and roses were mixed together in so hopeless a tangle that to separate them seemed impossible while the yew-trees of which there were several grew dark and thick and untrimmed and cast heavy shadows upon the grass plats near them the central part of the garden however showed signs of care the broad gravel walk was clean and smooth and the straight borders beside it were full of summer flowers among which roses were conspicuous indeed there were roses everywhere for anthony loved them as if they were his children and so did the white-faced invalid indoors whose room old dorothy anthony's wife kept filled with the freshest and choicest it did not matter to her that the sick man had wandered very far from the path of duty and was dying from excessive dissipation he was her pride her boy whom she had tended from his babyhood and whom she would watch over and care for to the last she had defended and stood by him when he brought home a pretty little brown-eyed brown-haired creature whose only fault was her poverty in the fact that she was a chorus singer in the operas in london where hugh macpherson had seen and fallen in love with her two years she had lived at stoneleigh happy as the singing birds which flew about the place and built their nests in the yews and then one summer morning she died and left to dorothy's care a little boy of three weeks who without much attention from any one as regarded his moral and mental culture had scrambled along somehow and had reached the age of sixteen without a single serious thought as to his future and without ever having made the least exertion for himself dorothy and anthony the two servants of the place had taken care of him and would continue to do so even after his father's death or if they did not his uncle the honourable john macpherson in london would never see him want he thought so with no bad habits except his extreme indolence which amounted to absolute laziness the boy's days passed on until the hot summer morning in june when he lay asleep on a broad bench under the shade of a yew-tree with his face upturned to the sunlight which penetrated through the overchanging boughs and fell in patches upon him occasionally a fly or honey-bee came and buzzed about him but never alighted upon him because of the watchful vigilance of the young girl who stood by his side shielding him from the sun's rays with her person and her white cape bonnet which she also used to scare away the insects for archie macpherson must not be troubled even in his sleep if care of hers could prevent it the girl who was not more than twelve in reality though her training had made her much older in knowledge and experience was singularly beautiful with great blue eyes and wavy golden hair which fell in long curls to her waist her dress though scrupulously neat and clean and becoming indicated that she belonged to the middle or working class far below the social position of the boy but whatever inequality of rank there was between them she had never felt it for ever since she could remember anything archie macpherson had played with and petted and teased her and she was almost as much at home at stoneleigh as in the workroom of her mother mrs elizabeth allen who made dresses for the ladies of bangor and vicinity how handsome he is she said to herself as she gazed admiringly upon the sleeping boy and how white and slim his hands are a great deal whiter than mine but that i suppose is because he's a gentleman's son and i have to wash dishes and sweep and dust the rooms and the girl glanced regretfully at her own hands which though fat and well shaped were brown and showed signs of the dusting and dish-washing required of her by her mother whose means were very limited and whose dressmaking did not warrant luxury of any kind 
i wish my hands were white and that i could wear diamond rings like the ladies at the george she continued and sometime i will if they are only shams half the world does not know the difference just then a handsome carriage containing a gentleman and lady child and nurse and maid turned in at the lodge gate which anthony opened very respectfully with a pull at his forelock that's the macphersons from london what an ugly proud-looking thing lady jane is the girl thought and in watching the carriage as it drove toward the house she relaxed her vigilance so far that a huge blue bottle-fly which had been skirting around the spot for some time alighted squarely upon archie's nose and roused him from his slumber yawning lazily and stretching his long arms he looked up and seeing his companion called out in a tone half familiar half patronizing as he would address an inferior hello days what are you doing here keeping the sun and the flies off from you they bite awfully this morning she answered quietly and archie continued upon my word days you are a little trump standing bareheaded in the sun to shield me how long have you been here half an hour perhaps and i was getting tired was the girl's reply but archie did not ask her to sit down beside him for he wanted all the bench to lounge upon and leaning upon his elbow he went on talking to her and answering her questions jestingly until she said how is your father then there came a shadow upon the face of the boy who replied he is worse and they have sent for uncle john and lady jane we expect them to-day yes i know they came while you were asleep lady jane looks very proud daisy said and archie rejoined she looks as she is then i hate her if archie hated her daisy did too and she answered promptly so do i though she had never seen the lady in question until that morning when she rode by arching her long neck and looking curiously around her she thinks the world made only for her and the baby neil archie said and dorothy thinks so too she is in a great way about her coming because we have no servants i don't care let uncle john give us some money if they want style when they come to stoneleigh that's so and daisy nodded approvingly then she went on mother has made some lemon jelly for the dinner because dorothy says she makes it so nice and i am going over this evening to wash the dishes and help dorothy a little you i wouldn't archie said looking reflectingly at her but she will give me a shilling toward a new sash was the girl's answer and archie replied i'll give you the shilling don't go and he put his hand in his pocket for the shilling which daisy knew was not there for the poverty of the macphersons of stoneleigh was no secret in the neighbourhood any more than was the pride which kept them so poor she had often heard both discussed by her mother's customers and when archie said as he withdrew his hand empty plague on it what a bother it is never to have any money i wish we were not so poor i wonder how i can make a fortune i've thought of forty ways she asked saucily did you ever think of going to work to work to work he repeated slowly as if not fully comprehending her i don't think i quite know what you mean i mean she replied that if you have no money and want some why don't you go to work and earn it like giles the tailor or jones the baker it would not hurt you one bit that is rich archie exclaimed sitting upright for the first time and laughing immoderately the best thing i have heard asked lady jane or uncle john or even anthony how they would like to have a macpherson turned baker or a tailor or a tinker you know i did not mean you to be any of these the girl answered a little indignantly but you might do something you can go to london and be a clerk in that big store marshall and snellgroves that would not be hard nor spoil your hands 
i am afraid it would little days the boy replied you will have to try again it would never do for a macpherson to be in trade we were not born to it how would gambling suit you piles of money are made that way gambling daisy repeated and could miss betsy macpherson have seen the scorn which flashed in the eyes of daisy allen she would have forgiven the daisy macpherson whom she saw years after upon the terrace of aberystwyth flirting with lord hardy but the daisy of the marine terrace was a very different person from the young girl who with a hand upon each hip and her head on one side gave archie a piece of her mind in terms neither mild nor selected gambling i'd never speak to you again if you stooped to such a thing as to play for money you'd better a thousand times sell butcher's meat at the corner or cry gooseberries in the street suppose you are a gentleman a macpherson without money must you either gamble or sit still and let someone else take care of you it won't hurt you to work any more than anybody else and you'll have to do something everybody says so suppose you do have stonely when your father dies there are only a few acres besides the park and they are all run down what are you going to do upon my word i did not know you had so much vim you are a regular little spitfire archie said regarding her intently then after a pause he added what am i going to do i am sure i don't know unless i marry you and let you take care of me i believe you could do it the hands that had been pressed on daisy's hips met suddenly together in a quick nervous clasp while there came over the girl's face a look of wonder and surprise and evident perplexity although daisy was much older than her years in some things the idea of marrying archibald macpherson or any one else had never entered her mind now however she was conscious of a new feeling which she could not define and after regarding him fixedly for a moment without any apparent consciousness she answered in a very matter-of-fact way i believe i could take care of you somehow i know you could so suppose we call it a bargain archie said but before daisy could reply lady jane's maid appeared coming down the broad walk stopping in front of the girl and boy and merely noticing the former by a supercilious stare she said to the latter interrogatively mr archibald macpherson present he answered with a comical look at daisy on whom it was lost for she was admiring the smart cap and pink ribbons of the maid who said if you are mr archibald your father wishes to see you he said i was to fetch you directly rising slowly archie shook himself together and started for the house while daisy looked after him with a new and thoughtful expression on her face archie she called at last tell dorothy i shall not come to help her with the dishes i have changed my mind i do not want the shilling all right was archie's response as he walked on never dreaming that he had that morning sown the first germ of the ambition which was to overshadow all daisy allen's future life and bear fruit a hundredfold two the macphersons the room in which hugh macpherson was lying was the largest and coolest and best furnished in the house for since he had been confined to his bed dorothy had brought into it everything she thought would make it more attractive and endurable to the fastidious invalid who on the june morning when his son was in the garden talking to daisy allen was propped upon pillows scarcely whiter than his thin worn face and was speaking of archie to his brother john who was standing before him with folded arms and a gloomy troubled expression on his face just across the room by an open window sat lady jane pretending to rearrange a bowl of roses on the table near her but listening intently to the conversation between the two brothers 
i don't know what will become of archie the sick man said speaking very slowly i shall leave him nothing but stoneleigh with a mortgage on it for four hundred pounds and a little annuity which came through his mother strange that from dear little dora who when i married her had nothing but her sweet voice and sweeter face the boy should inherit all the ready money he can ever have unless you or our sister betsy open your hearts to him you used to fancy the boy and talked once of adopting him when i had that fever at poe and you came to see me here lady jane's long neck arched itself more proudly and john felt how intently she was awaiting his reply yes hugh he said i like the boy he is bright and intelligent and i did think of adopting him once but that was before neil came now i have a son which makes a difference i cannot take archie or do very much for him either you know i have very little money of my own and i have no right to spend lady jane's here the willowy figure near the window bent very low over the roses as if satisfied with the turn matters were taking as john went on as his uncle and guardian i will see to him of course and will write to our sister asking her to do something for him perhaps she will invite him to come to her in america and if so what are your wishes shall i let him go the invalid hesitated a moment while his common sense fought with the old hereditary pride of blood and birth which would keep one in the rank to which it had pleased god to call him even if he starved there the latter gained the victory and hugh replied i would rather archie should not go to america if there is any other way betsy is very peculiar in her ideas and would as soon apprentice him to a shoemaker as anything else in the last letter i received from her she advised me to put him to some trade and to break stone myself on the highway rather than do nothing no archie must not go to america he may marry well if you and lady jane look after him and you will john you will have a care for my boy when i am gone and oh never never let him go near the gaming-table that has been my ruin keep him from that whatever you do why not require a promise from him to that effect he is a truthful boy he will keep his word john said and hugh replied yes yes that's it strange i never thought of it before i will send for him at once call anthony to fetch him and oh john i owe anthony fifty pounds money borrowed at different times from his hard earnings will you see that he is paid Yes john answered promptly for anthony who had been at stoneleigh since he was a boy and had been so much to him was his favourite and should not suffer he would pay anthony but when his brother mentioned other debts owing to the tradespeople in bangor and beaumaris and even carnarvon he objected on the ground that he was not able but said he would lay the matter before his sister betsy who was far richer than himself it was at this point that archie appeared in the door and after greeting his uncle john and the lady jane with the grace and courtesy so natural to him he went to his father's bedside where he stopped suddenly struck with an expression on the pinched white face which earlier in the morning had not been there father he cried while a great fear took possession of him what is it are you worse yes my son weaker that is all and going from you very fast before the day is over perhaps and i want to talk to you archie and to tell you i have nothing to leave you but stonely and that is mortgaged nothing but the small annuity on your life from your mother's little fortune which came too late to do her any good 
oh dora who bore with me so patiently and loved me through all shall i find her i wonder she was so good and i am so bad and archie my ruin has been the gaming-table which you must avoid as you would the plague death and eternal ruin sit there side by side shun it archie and promise me as you hope for heaven never to play for money never but what shall i do archie asked remembering that he had intended to try his fortune at monte carlo where he had heard such large sums were sometimes made what shall i do i don't know my boy the father replied there will be some way provided your uncle john will look after you as your guardian and your aunt in america will help but promise and i shall die happier and so with no especial thought about it except that his father wished it archie macpherson pledged himself never to play for money under any circumstances and the father knew the boy would keep the pledge and felt that his last hours of life were easier for those hours were his last and when the sun went down the master of stoneleigh lay dead in the room where he had blessed his son and commended him to the care of his brother and anthony feeling certain that the latter would be truer to the trust than the former in whom selfishness was the predominant trait it was a very quiet and pretentious funeral for john macpherson who knew the expense of it would fall on himself would have no unnecessary display and the third day after his death hugh macpherson was laid to rest by the side of the dora he had often neglected but always loved as soon as the funeral was over john returned to london with lady jane having first given archie a great deal of good advice to the effect that he must do the best he could with what he had and never spend a shilling unnecessarily or forget that he was a macpherson on his arrival in london john wrote to his sister in america telling her of hugh's death of his poverty and his debts and asking what she was willing to do for the boy who was left as it were upon the world in due time the answer came and was characteristic of the writer she would pay the mortgage and the debts to the tradespeople rather than have the macpherson name disgraced and she would take the boy and put him in a way to earn his own living at some honest and respectable occupation if he did not choose to come or her brother did not choose to send him on account of any foolish pride and prejudice against labour then he might take care of him or the boy might starve for all of her this letter john and lady jane read together but did not consider for a moment with a scornful toss of her head lady jane declared herself ready to give of her own means toward the maintenance of the boy rather than see a macpherson degraded to manual labour and thus disgrace her son neil the apple of her eye and so it was settled between them that archie was to be kept in ignorance of his aunt betsy's offer which the low taste he had inherited from his mother might possibly prompt him to accept meanwhile he was for the present to remain at stoneleigh where his living would cost a mere pittance and where he would pursue his studies as heretofore under the direction of a retired clergyman who for a nominal sum took boys to educate this sum with other absolute necessaries john undertook to pay feeling when all the arrangements were made that he had done his duty to his brother's child who was perfectly delighted to be left by himself at stoneleigh where he could do as he pleased with anthony and dorothy and his teacher too for that matter and where he was free to talk with and tease and at last make love to daisy allen for his uncle john paid but little attention to him beyond paying the sum he had pledged and having him and his family at london and in derbyshire for a few weeks each year when it was most convenient naturally he could not help falling in love with daisy 
who was the only girl he ever saw except the high-bred milk-and-water misses whom he sometimes met in lady jane's drawing-room and who in point of beauty and grace and piquancy could in no degree compare with the playmate of his childhood after the morning when daisy kept the sun from him in the old yew-shaded garden and he jestingly proposed to marry her that she might take care of him a change came over the girl who began to develop the talent for intrigue in which she afterward became so successful and as a preliminary step she made herself so necessary to archie that his life without her would hardly have been endurable and of his own accord he always shortened as much as possible his visits to london for he knew how bright was the face and how warm the welcome awaiting him at stoneleigh and so it came about that when daisy was sixteen and he was twenty he offered himself to the girl who pretended no surprise or reserve but promptly answered yes and then suggested that their engagement be kept a secret from every one until he came of age and could do as he pleased for daisy well knew the fierce opposition he would meet from his proud relatives if once they knew that he had stooped to the daughter of a dressmaker and so well did she manage the affair that not even dorothy suspected the real state of affairs until one morning when archie who had been absent for two weeks on a tour through scotland astonished her by walking into the house with daisy whom he introduced as his wife and the mistress of stoneleigh she too had been to scotland to visit some friends and there the marriage was consummated and archie had some one to take care of him at last and when his uncle john wrote him a most angry letter denouncing him as his nephew and cutting off his yearly allowance which though small was still something to depend upon daisy rose to the situation and managed his annuity and managed the household and managed him until enough was saved from their slender means to start on the campaign which she had planned for herself and which she carried out so successfully the continent was her chosen field of action and monte carlo the point toward which she steadily set her face until at last one lovely october day five months after her marriage mr and mrs archibald macpherson of stoneleigh wales were registered at the hotel d'angleterre and took possession of one of the cheapest rooms until they could afford a better it does not matter where we sleep or where we eat so long as we make a good appearance outside she said to archie who shrank a little at first from the closed dreary room on the fifth floor so different from his large airy apartment at home which though very plainly furnished had about it an air of refinement and respectability in striking contrast to this ten by twelve hole where daisy made the most ravishing toilettes of the simplest materials with which to attract and ensnare any silly moth ready to singe its wings at her flame she had settled the point that if archie could not earn his living because he was a macpherson she must do it for him five months had sufficed to show her that there was in him no capability or disposition for work or business or exertion of any kind he was a great good-natured easy-going indolent fellow popular with everybody and very fond and very proud of and very dependent upon her with no grain of jealousy in his nature so when the english swells of which there were many at monte carlo flocked around her attracted by her fresh young beauty and the girlish simplicity of her manners she readily encouraged them not because she cared particularly for their admiration but because she meant to use them for her own purpose and make them subservient to her interests End of chapters one and two